This is the Danger Close Podcast. Beyond the Books with me, Jack Carr. Welcome to the Danger Close Podcast, an Ironclad Original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. In the Blood, coming in hot on May 17th, audio, ebook, and hardcover. My guest today is my friend, Andy Stump. He is the host of the Cleared Hot podcast, and we went through Buds together back in 1997. So we have a lot of history together. I actually went to our first SEAL team together, SEAL Team 5, back in 1997 as well. So sit back, relax, enjoy the podcast. Without further ado, Andy Stump. Oh, Jesus. You got written down questions? Yeah. Yeah, because there's one specific I wanted to ask you. Fire away. Oh, man. Here we go. I'm so excited that I learned about what this clapping thing was. I've already done it, though. I, I stole I know, your thunder. I know. I have to come back. <laughs> to do another one. Uh, so I wanted to kick it off just wondering what titles you are considering for your nonfiction memoir. You and I both know. Because you've heard me say this many times, I'm not writing a nonfiction memoir. What, first off, how many times have you asked about that? Every day. Yeah. Either on social media or on email or with other podcasters who are trying to be smart asses because they already know the answer to the question. Eh. Let me ask you this. It's like an interrogation. You never ask the questions you don't know the answers to. What would I write it about? There's nothing that I did in my career that was unique outside of anybody else. Many of our peers... Um, I did more than some in my career and far less than many. And how could I possibly write a book that would be differentiated in any way from the massive volume of books that are already out there? So, and if I can't, the question is, why would I? So I think you're looking at it through the lens of like a singular event. How about, um, the leadership things that you talk about or have you ever heard of an author named Jocko? <laughs> who has written a book or seven. You could sell yours about, for $4 less. I probably have to sell it for like <laughs> way, I might have to sell it for $4 to compete with Jocko stuff. I actually point people at other authors because I feel like he does a much better job. First off, he knows more words than me. Let's be very clear. And he's good at using said words. So- You guys both do a good job for the record. You guys both do a different, different We have way. a different approach. Yeah. I- for my entire life, and I suspect this will be the case forever, cannot take shit seriously, as you know. <laughs> Jocko with this. <laughs> can be extremely serious to the point where I want to send him messages like, hey, man, check your blood pressure. Take a wrap or two off. Very different approaches. But I, when people ask me about leadership books, I point them in the direction of those that have already done that. So mm. it's like, well, how could I possibly write a book that picks up where Jocko left off or a gap that he might have left because I don't feel like he did. Yeah. I feel like it was really good. And I talk about this when I speak publicly about leadership. This there's no such thing as seal leadership. Mm -hmm. There's just leadership and it's either really good and effective or it's really shitty and it's ineffective. You could title, you know, military, but then there might be sales or banking or investment. Like it, it's all based off of the same stuff. I think he did a really good job of taking his military experience and finding um, outside of military examples in the business world and overlaying them, like, I, he didn't really leave any seams that needs that need to be filled. So why would I do that? The only answer that I come back to would be- Because people are asking you every week. 
Yeah, but I don't barely. know why. I think they mm. feel like they would get a professional book. It would actually be, I would probably just draw little penises in the margin. So when you <laughs> flip through it, it'd be like a guy, a stick figure walking with a big hog leg through the spine. And I'm like, that's what I think of. That would be the only reason to write a book is to, is to mess with people. And I'm not sure that's why you should write a book. <laughs> Probably not. You got to be passionate about it. Or people you know. would say write a book because it would help you with notoriety or maybe you could make uh, money. And the reality is I don't want either of those things. Yeah. I don't care. So I can't think of a good reason to do it. I think that the market for seal books is saturated. It's a little bit saturated. And, yeah. and you and I have talked about this before. I don't have a problem with people doing whatever they want to with their experiences. They are their experiences. They were earned through the experience. Do with it what you want. The only time I take issue with it is when you start flirting with a relationship with the truth, mm -hmm. which in my opinion, some of the authors have done. And unfortunately, the reader, unless you come from the world that we come from or were on some of the objectives that they're writing about, which they clearly were not, there's no way that you would ever know that. So it's, mm -hmm. I don't even want to dip my foot into that pond. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for, for, uh, you know, people that did write nonfiction books, I think it's important to realize that it's that it's your, that person's perspective. Yeah. You know, I shouldn't be looked at as anything more than that person's perspective. It's not a, a tell all. It's not the, uh, you know, the end all be all of every single level, tactical, operational, strategic. It's one guy's perspective. Yeah. And that's what it should be, should be taken as. Um, and most seals, I would say 99.99% of seals can only write from the tactical perspective. Mm -hmm. I have an understanding of what operational warfare looks like, but I was never involved in anything strategic. If I, if I look back with a very critical eye, I was at the lowest rungs of the tactical level. Sure, I was at some commands that maybe were a little bit higher up in the, in the echelons, but my actual job, like I'm good at, at, get me to the threshold of a door. Give me that sledge. And I got it. Mm -hmm. I'm not good at writing policy. <laughs> They're like flamethrowers for everybody. Uh, like that shit doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're executing uh, strategic level policies essentially at the tactical level. Uh, Correct. Which, which, uh, which is the no place to input. be. Yeah. And that's where the fun actually <laughs> yeah. happens. That's where the rubber meets the road. Yeah. So yeah, it was strategic in a sense, but my involvement and my understanding was purely at a tactical level. Yeah. I think people get in trouble when they start trying to swing a little bit above their head. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you differentiate then when you think about books and not, not writing one? How do you differentiate um, doing the podcast and talking about some of those experiences and say those were just written out and put in a, in a book? What's the, what's the difference between those two things? Um, there probably largely isn't one other than people can fast forward when they're bored of my stupid <laughs> stories. And a lot of the times it comes up in conversation or people will ask me about it. Mm -hmm. Um. And I think it's, I don't know, it's more of a real time. It's not something that I have to like commit to a piece of paper or so my thoughts are final. It's another issue that I have with, for myself personally, writing something like that is we were, we just finished up an episode of my, of my podcast where I was talking about, you know, I'm in my forties and I'm still trying to figure myself out. I would worry that what I would write and how I feel about it now would be drastically different than I would feel about it from 10 years. Like there's this permanence to mm -hmm. the ink on paper and I, I don't know myself that well. I have an understanding of those experiences, but their impact of those experiences, I think still has continued to shift. They certainly impacted me a different way before I had kids. Mm -hmm. And then as my kids have grown and then, uh, you know, going through a divorce, navigating another relationship, getting ready to get married again. It's like, I'm not at a stable place, um, not like instability as a person, but at a place where I feel like 
now is the time where I can commit my thoughts to a concrete medium and, mm. and that's it and move on. Interesting. I think it's a lot, so many people, uh, once you or ask you about that so often and, uh, and listen to the podcast and have that connection with you is because we're all on these journeys and yeah. for people that don't have it figured out to hear someone like you who looks like they have it figured out say that. Oh, I hey, definitely I'm, do not look like I have anything figured out. Oh, you, I mean, from the outside <laughs> looking in, you know, if you were from the outside looking in, yeah. like I know you, <laughs> but if I didn't, I would be looking from the outside and even knowing you, I was just joking, even knowing you, like you have this amazing podcast that uh, that's helping people through these conversations. You have this Black Rifle Coffee thing going in down the street. You started something new with jujitsu and you've introduced a whole another generation of people that might not have tried it had it not been for listening to you. So you're having this, this impact on, on people in a positive way. And then you still stay so humble to say that you don't have it figured out, you know, and that makes I don't it have okay it for people that are like, Hey, they're also on this journey that don't have it figured that out. That might be some wave tops. You, know? you want to cover the troughs? Cause there's plenty. <laughs> Oh, uh, there are plenty. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody, that's that. That's yeah. it. Like everybody, buddy has that. Like, uh, and that's why social media is such a strange animal because we take that one photo that shows that one second, less than a it's second mostly all of tops. a day. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and if you just show all the negative stuff, like that's just kind of depressing, but all you're showing is the positive a lot of the times. And well, what does that do to the person that's just looking at all this? Hey, this guy's got it figured out. This guy's got it figured out, but they're not saying that, Hey, we're all getting hit. Yeah, We're and then they're comparing it. and contrasting with their own life as if, as if what they're looking at is, a, is an all-encompassing, wholesome perspective of that person's life, yeah. which is not. It's called a curated feed. It's a curated feed. <laughs> That's it. That's it, you know? And, uh, you know, I find myself doing that, obviously, but I'm trying to be positive and add value to, to people's yeah. lives with everything that I do. Um, I talk about our struggles, you know, when it comes up naturally in conversation, but I don't want to lead with it because I don't lead like I'm complaining about anything. I'm certainly... No, not. Some things are worth complaining um, about. <laughs> but then eventually you got to stop complaining and get up and move forward. Yeah. And, complaining uh, can only be a poor, it should be 2%, 98% or whatever ratio works yeah, for you. Don't flip those. Correct. It don't shouldn't be those. 98% complaining, 2% taking corrective action. Like, yeah. Let's focus on corrective action. But I also think there is value in talking about the troughs. Mm -hmm. And I think the podcast is a great medium to do that because you have time. Yeah. Instagram, and I've tried this experiment many times. It's not the place for complex thoughts. <laughs> or, nor Twitter. <laughs> no, no, I mean. None of the social media platforms yeah. are. They're neither social nor media. And we were talking about this on the drive from the airport, this weird attention, almost molding to you want short, very swipeable durations of attention. Mm -hmm. 15 second TikToks, yeah, TikTok brain. Which is the exact opposite of, of how I want to live my life. I'd rather take the time with somebody and have it go as deep as possible mm -hmm. and probably explore more of the troughs than the peaks. Peaks are awesome, but what is in between those peaks is almost always a valley and that journey down and then back up to me is the most fascinating part. And can be the most inspirational because we love we love a yeah. comeback story in this country. Uh, yeah, we, love a, we love a comeback story. I bet story. you they love a comeback the, story in a lot of countries. Probably most. It's probably, it's <laughs> hardwired into us as humans, I think, yeah. is, to, is to like that underdog, to, to, to resonate with that underdog. But then there's a weird thing, and I don't know if this is uh, across culture or not. It, it may be. But we also, and I use we as the uh, colloquial we, um, like to see the person on top fall. It's a weird thing. And I don't mean me, it's, I don't mean you. It's, I just mean like there's a strange thing is we love this underdog story. Yeah. We love this comeback story. And then for whatever reason, there's jealousies or there's whatever it is when you see the person at the top and then you see them fall. It's a weird dynamic. There I, seems to be a ratio and it's it, it seems to be 
inversely proportional to where that person is mm -hmm. in comparison to that other person on the peak, <laughs> the farther away they are, the more they have that tug to root for the fall from mm -hmm. grace. Personally, I think it's, you should be able to, hopefully everybody can get to a place where they're comfortable celebrating the successes of other people. Yes. It's, what you have to do is stop. Much more healthy. Yeah. Well, you have to stop comparing yourself against somebody else. Hence the Instagram photo. Correct. Uh, it's, yeah. Comparing yourself against that photo and yeah. not seeing it as what it is, which is a curated feed, one snap, one second of one day. Because what they're not seeing yeah. behind that when I take that photo is behind me, uh, my wife saying, get in the car, we're late, and the dog barking. And I'm like, hold on, I forgot this. Or oh, just got to yeah. take this real quick. You know, they're not seeing any of that stuff. And that's real life, you know. I mean, um, what does it say about somebody if they truly want others to fail? And if somebody weird. hears that and then you're like, hmm, well, I kind of want somebody to fail sometime. I would spend some time with yourself and try to figure out why that is because it doesn't actually say anything about the person that you want to fail and it says a lot about you. And it's probably not not that healthy and it's probably not going to help you move forward and accomplish whatever goals you have. It's just you a take strange the probably thing. out of that state. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not yeah. healthy and it's definitely not going to help you. Yeah. It's just a weird thing. And even if it's someone that's slighted you, whether it's perceived or, or real, um, that forgiveness thing is, and it's interesting, this latest book in, in the blood, it wasn't really about forgiveness, but I wove, somehow it naturally wove this theme of forgiveness in there. Like I have, I told you before, I have these like themes that I start yeah. the books with so that it keeps me on track. Um, and this one was a sniper centric novel of violent resolutions, but I had this, this theme of forgiveness in there as well as the character starts to grow. And I'm not sure where that exactly came from, but there's so much power in forgiveness. Um, so it just made sense to kind of incorporate it into, into this because there is so much revenge and violence in there. But, uh, but I think in regular life, it doesn't have to be something like this, but it, uh, just forgiving somebody, it, it gives you energy and bandwidth. It feels it like you focus where it needs to be. It feels like you take a weight off your shoulders. Yeah. It really, it really does. does. Yeah. So you found that too. Yeah. I think I, you know, I would say two important pillars of being a man, which is all I can't speak about the important pillars of being a woman. One would be the ability to ask for help. That's a huge sign of strength, in my opinion. And another one would be the ability to forgive others. Yeah. Um, I have found that most of the shit that I have held onto, like grudges, mm -hmm. the people that I was holding the, the onto the grudge about didn't realize that they had slighted me so they had like moved on with their life. I'm like, fuck you. It's 1980 and I'm still pissed. <laughs> so I wasted all of this time. And what's one of the first things that if they're a good person, they're going to say, if they are confronted with something <laughs> that you perceived as wrong, they'd be like, sorry, bro, dude, <laughs> I didn't even know. I am so sorry. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, I just wasted okay. 20 years of my life. <laughs> still pissed about this. Uh -huh. No, like the ability to ask for help and the ability to put shit down. Another term for that could be forgive people and move mm. on. Very powerful. I think they're important pillars, at least in being what I would consider to be a man. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that uh, Adam Sandler movie when they call that guy? You have like, to be a little bit more specific than that. He has the list of names from high school. You're talking about Billy Madison. Yeah. All right. Many, <laughs> the lipstick and cross. <laughs> yes. I totally forgot all about that, man. Yeah. No, no problem. That's, let me just tell you, list. as that. somebody who's held grudges for <laughs> Glad far I too long I called that guy. Yeah. yeah. Grudges that I've held on too far, that's what you're going to have happen is people go, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't even know. And then you're going to feel like an asshole for holding on to something that you shouldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. But your life will be better for putting this uh, you know, metaphorical suitcase down. 
Yeah, no, I think so. But, uh, and the social media stuff, it, I mean, it's such an interesting thing and especially with the kids and how that's impacting their lives and TikTok brain, 15 seconds and they're being programmed to get bored and have to move on to the next video. Uh, Wall Street Journal had that article we were talking about yeah. called TikTok brain. And we had our little guy who's 11 read that and just trying to educate him along the way and do what we can as, as parents, but they're getting, there's, uh, it's, it's a tough time to grow up. I think. How um, fortunate are you and I that we did not grow up with that? Mm-hmm. I would be in jail <laughs> for saying what comes to mind, which has got me in trouble throughout my entire life, but I didn't have a device that connected me to the world. And that kept a record of it, you know? Yeah. That's one of the worst parts. Mm-hmm. You mess up on that stage and screen grabbing is a real thing. And man, you might want to assume that everything you put into a device of any kind lasts forever. Because it does. It truly does. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be dug up and yeah, going to that in this, this book with the, with a mass data storage and surveillance and artificial intelligence and quantum computing and how all that stuff has come together um, to, I mean, it's a, when we talk about the surveillance state, that's a real thing. Yeah. We're living in it. It's a, it's a real thing. And it's connected the internet of things. So I feel, I, I, I try not to talk with my wife about it too much in front of the kids or even when they're <laughs> within earshot, but they're maybe watching a show because they're always listening. You know, they can, yeah. they can tell, um, but talk about how, how tough it is for kids to grow up with all this today. Cause I don't want them to have that uh, another burden on there. Oh man, this is a rough time to grow up. You know, I don't want them to, to, to hear that and just think that we're always talking about that and we're not always talking about it, but we're thinking about it It'll be quite okay. a bit. It'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, hope so. So that's why we try to get him out hunting. <laughs> you know, I got my little guy out to Lanai a few weeks ago and yeah. he got a he got an awesome deer. Our daughter got a great deer um out there. And you know, we get so connection to the land, connection to the animals that inhabit that land, putting that meat on the table. So together without a device right there pulling yep. us away. So all those uh all those benefits of being in the outdoors together. So we try to we try to do that. But um yeah, but it's a wild time to be attached to that device, you know. Agreed. <sighs> crazy. Um, and man, we were talking also earlier about uh, a little book that came out recently about the SEAL teams. And I was, you know, conflicted about- You can say the name of it. Having, I know you don't want to. I don't like to say it. <laughs> uh, and uh, it just hurt, you know, that I have a an issue because it, some of those articles that the author wrote before hurt so many of my friends. Um, and if they go back to that article, they'll know the exact one I'm talking about. And they can look through and be like, oh, okay, I see who he's talking about here. Yep. Um, but it just, it, you know, it, it hurts so many of my friends. But at the same time, you know, it, it is so important to uh, have this, this transparency. But at the same time, I th- find it odd that uh, of all the things someone could do in life, they want to shine this light on a, like a single percentage of uh, the negative things that a particular command has done after going to war and giving us these freedoms for the last 20 years because they stood up um, and went downrange time and time again uh, with that toll that it takes on mind and body, spirit. So I just uh, have a tough time with it. So, um, But you did a great job having him on. Um, your questions were were, uh, were spot on and interesting. But it's a, uh, did you have, were you conflicted at all about having him on? Uh... No, I wasn't conflicted about having him on. I am highly critical in mm-hmm. many ways of the SEAL community and the veteran community mm-hmm. writ oh, yeah. large. Um, could not be more proud of my connection to both of those. And I think the vast majority of people live up to every ounce of what uh, citizens in this country would expect of them. But no community is perfect. Yeah. And I think the easiest way to maintain your integrity is to be transparent. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I don't know what degree of transparency is necessary, um, but there needs to be some level mm. of that. I think it's actually essential that people understand the consequences of committing a very small group of citizens in this country to the level of violence and conflict multiple times over the course of decades and what can come from that. Um, and I touched on it briefly in the podcast with him um, and only briefly because what I didn't want to do is to try to fo shift the focus somewhere else. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is, this is your book. This is what you wrote about. Let's talk about that. The reality is though, is if you swing the lens that he used on the SEAL community into any special operations branch in the military and probably into any direct combat arms unit outside of the special operations world, what you are going to find are slivers of the same issue. Mm -hmm. Because in my experience and from what I have seen, that is the consequence of that level of commitment and tasking such a small group of people to do those things, to live in that world, to make decisions in that environment, to lose their friends, to have to to bear the, the burden of doing that, to be presented with the opportunity for revenge in an environment with little to no oversight from sometimes. Does that mean it's right? No, it doesn't mean it's right. But after two decades of war, shit's gonna get a little squirrely as you get out to the extremes. And you're gonna find that in every military branch and in every special operations unit if you look hard enough. Doesn't mean it's right, but I think it's essential that it's talked about in the hopes that the people who are well above any of the military members who are actually gonna be conducting these combat operations, it has to be thrown in their face so they think about it when they think about committing human capital from this country to doing things like that. I would hope that that's the impact that it has because if we never talk about it, there's no chance that those people are gonna think about that. It destroys lives. You know, uh, war crimes are a real thing. It's been happening since the history of war. I hope that people realize that when somebody finds themselves in that place where maybe they decide in that moment that that's the action that they want to take, it can ruin them for the rest of their life as well. In a brief moment, it can completely scramble their eggs. It can have generational impact on their loved ones and their kids and for generations to come because of a really shitty decision that they made in that moment. And they probably wouldn't have made that decision absent all of the exterior pressures. And, and none of this is an attempt to excuse any of that. It's mm -hmm an attempt to have an honest conversation about what happens in those environments. And if you're not thinking about that, when you're wearing your three-piece suit in Washington saying, we need more money, we need more troops, and by the way, we should probably use this radio. And you, know, mm. you might have a relationship with that radio manufacturer or this ISR platform. And you also are not the one who's gonna have to do it. And you don't fucking know anybody who's gonna have mm -hmm. to do it. If you're not thinking about those things, it'll, it'll never hit the radar. Um, so I think we need to be open and honest about the cost of that so we can have a better mathematical formula when it comes to the risk versus reward of doing those things. Because it's going to happen and it has happened since the history of warfare. And I actually don't think that there's a way to stop it. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, but it seems like that, uh, you know, for this book or, or anything, you're taking, you're looking at an industry and you're looking at the quarter of a percentage and you're bringing that to light in a way that makes it seems like it is the entire industry. And in this yes. case, the entire SEAL teams. Um, and uh, so that's, that's just a- That was a probably my main, that was my main motivation in having 
Matthew come on was for me at least to be able to express to him that what he wrote about was not reflective of my experience for 17 years in the SEAL community and at least be able to ask questions and provide not a narrative, but provide a perspective in real time with him that, you know, because when you do read that book, uh, and I'm not saying everybody who reads the book would come to that conclusion, but I think it would be based off of, I mean, I read a paragraph out of the back of it um, Mm -hmm. that was highlighting that it is, it was very broad and sweeping as if he was talking about the community as a whole. And that just wasn't my experience. So for me, it was very important to at least be able to voice that. People can do with it what they want because his book is based off his experiences. My feelings are based off of mine. And I'll leave that out there for the listener or the viewer to decide. Yeah. I mean, obviously it certainly takes takes a toll. We had, what, two weeks ago, uh, two, two SEALs took their lives in the same week. Yeah, that was crazy. I knew one of them, he was actually in my team. He was uh, a new guy when I was at the East Coast Command. Wow had uh, operated with him pretty extensively, sporadic communication since then. And uh, not only was it shocking to hear how he, that he did take his own life, but the way that he chose to do so. Yeah. I, there's no words. I, yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. I don't know if that stuff's public yet, how that happened. Anyway. It, it's uh, public that he took his life, but yeah, I don't but think how. how. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and probably best served that it's not. And then the other individual that unfortunately took their life was, a very senior enlisted personnel. I, I have no idea or understanding of his operational background, but yeah. it seemed to me for the people that I know who have chosen to take their life, they did so at an earlier phase in their life. Mm-hmm. I was I was shocked to hear that he d- he chose to do so at a, at a later phase. Mm-hmm. Was he a sniper instructor of yours? No. Okay. I think he was one of mine. I can't. Yeah, it's been a long time, been yeah. 20 some years now. I forget exactly where we crossed, where we crossed paths. But mathematically, the community that we come from is so astronomically beyond from a suicide perspective. I don't uh I don't get it. You know, my buddy, we yeah. both knew uh Dave, who killed himself last year in October or yeah. the year before last in October. And I had no idea how much he was struggling. You know, I, I wish I could have I wish I could have done something. Um but those names, those three people are, that's the first three lines in a few pages. It's mm-hmm. like, what the fuck is going on? Yeah. I don't understand it. Yeah. I mean, somebody called me from your uh, former command December, anyway, a few months back and uh, ran through some numbers with me like this. And uh, it was, it was shocking. Like yeah. I knew the numbers were high, right? Well, and but that needs to be- how high. That needs to be part of the conversation as well. I don't think, I don't think that's happening in a vacuum. I think that there's a reason that small, very niche communities that have a very targeted mission set, if the numbers are that high, that needs to be put into the calculus of what we ask these mm-hmm. people to do. Because again, if you're ignoring it, then you're absolutely failing as a leader. Yeah. And I, but and, and I also don't know the recipe because right, what do you do. It's is okay. Well, can we commit these forces for 10 years? What mathematical input would that have? 20? Like nobody knows. Yeah. But it, it has to be a part of the decision making calculus, at least in my mind. Yeah. And actually to, to correct, it wasn't just that former command, it was your the joint. Yeah. And as a whole, the numbers uh that he ran over with me. But I mean it's shocking. Just try to do, you know, try to do whatever 
you know, trying to do whatever I can. But, um, and it's, and it's weird. I heard you talking on that last podcast that you did that I listened to on the way up here and you talked about cups or thimbles and what you can fill up and how one experience is going to affect one person differently than another. Yeah. And how do you measure that? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know, but I know that, uh, 20 years and uh, strategic level decisions that if you had translated those to the tactical level and you'd made decisions like that on target as an E5 or an E7 or an O2 or whatever it might be, you would be fired and you would be sent home um, and you would probably be court-martialed. But you can commit a country to war and you can double down on things and you can make horrible strategic decisions when there's information out there that would guide anybody looking at it logically in a different direction. And if we just look at Afghanistan, you don't have to go back to Genghis Khan. You don't have to go back to Alexander the Great. You can go back to three British excursions, two in the 1800s, one in the early 1900s. You can go back to the Soviet experience in yeah. 1979 and 1989. Uh, like there was data out there. And then once we're there, we're building our own data now and we can learn from those lessons. What are we supposed to do at the tactical level? We're supposed to come back. We do a hot wash. We do an AAR. We take those lessons. We apply them to future missions and we disseminate them to other groups, other military units. So they don't have to learn those same lessons in blood. Senior level leaders, zero accountability. And when you talk about those senior level leaders making decisions and not being there physically uh, to feel the repercussions of those decisions, I mean, do you think any of those senior level leaders would have put their son or daughter uh, at the gate in Afghanistan as we're getting out, abandoned Bagram, and put their son or daughter for 10, 12, 15, 18, 20 hours standing at that gate with masses of people trying to get out of that country that ended up with 13 U.S. military personnel dead and others that are missing arms and legs and dealing with the emotional trauma of that experience? People can't walk anymore. Um, unlikely. Unlikely. Yeah, I've actually almost landed on, and I and I suspect it would be an unpopular opinion, but I think one of the main things that the U.S. military could do would be a forced limit of combat exposure, mm -hmm. which I think actually would in, it would impact readiness to a degree because you're taking some of your most senior operators and removing them from the battlefield. Um, but I think. If you know, going back to the cups or your coffee cup or a water yeah. cup, I think at some point you get really close, regardless of who you are, to it coming over the top. And if nobody stops you, you're not going to stop yourself. Um, and I, I think it would reduce some of the issues. I don't think it would necessarily stop them, but I think it's something that the, the military could do to actually care for their soldiers better. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a tough one. Um, but that accountability piece, I think, is that it's it's separate, but it's connected. It's connected because those decisions, those senior levels commit these younger men and women to the battlefield yeah. and that trauma for the rest of their lives where those effects aren't felt at those senior level leaders. Because what, what do those leaders do? Nah, they get out, write a couple books, go on the speaking circuit, go on a think tank, go on like five or six boards. Well, it's uh, not just the senior military officers. It's politicians as well. Yeah, you know, they're, and they're, they're, in a, they're in one large group in a lot of, uh, in a lot of ways. In yeah. a lot of ways, except for some of them are gone in four years, four or six years, right? They're just like poof. And then they're off kind of doing the same stuff. It's, there needs to be a, a level of accountability all the way to the very top, uh, in my opinion. I don't, I'm not smart enough to design or develop a mechanism for that, but I think it would change their decision-making for sure. Great book called Term Limits by Vince Flynn um, that was uh, way ahead of its time that changed the genre, moved it forward. It's uh, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, thought they'd make a movie of it today, but uh, it, it's incredible. But uh, Term Limits uh, might not be a bad bad idea. Mm. I would support that for sure. It That's shouldn't you shouldn't be able to be in politics longer than you've been out of it. 
<laughs> yeah, now that it's a career. Uh, it's never, it's never yeah. supposed to be a career. I think that yeah, you're exactly right. But uh, yeah, interesting that they, it's interesting that people that are called to serve as politicians also happen to be, in many, many cases, very savvy investors. Yeah. The two probably aren't connected, though. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's just in the DNA. Nothing to yeah. see here. Yeah. They probably would not be privy to any type of information that yeah. could influence those investments. Totally. Yeah. It's completely random. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I uh, think so. God. Gives me a lot to work with in the novels, though. I'm sure it does. Yeah. You have endless material. I, I do. And they just yeah. keep giving it to you. You don't have to make a lot of it up. They just <laughs> give it to you. It's out there. It's, uh, God, it's fantastic. But it's also so therapeutic for me. So instead of stewing on it, um, I can write about it. Yeah. I can incorporate it in. Uh, and sometimes I can give it from a bad guy's perspective. And it's, it's uh, so anyway, it's very, I, I love I love writing, love, love doing it. Um, You're not going to be out of content for decades to come, don't worry. No, no, I'll never run out of ideas. There's so many <laughs> ideas I have written down and they just keep giving me more, more ideas, more to work with, you know, more to work with. Um, but it, it was, uh, when, when you were on that, I think it was that podcast, because I just listened to it on the way, on the way up here. Um, but uh, talking about getting out of the military, talking about the, the transition and being connected to that SEAL past and having that be, and you talked about something that you, struggle with a, a bit. Like people are listening to you when you go to a leadership thing because you were a SEAL, I think you said. Um, but if that gives you a platform to help help people add value to their lives, um, then why not? So you talked about that that struggle. It can be a worthwhile tool, but you, I think you have to be careful not to become that persona. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if that's what gets people to pay attention to a lesson that I think would be impactful in their life, that's great. Yeah. But you have to be able to detach yourself from that and be somebody outside of the seal, which is just a job title. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think so. I think it's, uh, it's important to, to build on any foundation and whether it's successes or failures, you don't have to just build on successes. You can obviously build on failures. You have to. There's, there's no other choice. Is built upon failures. <laughs> it's a very easy formula. Just keep going. Yeah, just keep building. It's keep like building. The, but learn some lessons along the way. Maybe Nemo. get smarter about just it. Just keep swimming. Oh, geez. Uh, but it is. But it, it's interesting. And I saw that when I was getting out. I saw that. Um, I was very lucky, I think, to go to a, uh, a shore duty when I was getting out because I could take a breath. I wasn't taking guys downrange anymore. I wasn't responsible for them, their families. The yep. mission, the mission was push-ups and sit-ups at buds. Like, yep. and the phases have that covered. Like, they didn't really need me to do it. Largely, uh, yeah, they've, they've got it. Um, but I got to see people that wanted to come back and give tours, and uh, hey, can I get my buddy in here and show them, or my boss, or whatever. And I always. Absolutely. You know, uh, and I thought it might be a little bit iffy with the senior level leaders. I'd give them a good time to come yeah. uh, when those guys weren't there. Uh, <laughs> Cause I always, you know, when I want to hook a buddy up, but I saw that uh, maybe they were a little too closely connected to that past rather than building upon it. It was like their feet were stuck in it as cement. So the foundation was yeah. built upon, it was cement and their feet were stuck in it. Um, so that was very clear. I saw that it didn't take too much for <laughs> too much uh, introspection or too much experience for me to see that that was the case with a, a lot of people. And uh, it was very easier for me to decide not to be that way, which was also very cool. Someone sent me a clip and it was Rogan on, the, on his podcast talking about Jack Carr, the author, and he never mentioned SEAL. And I forget who the guest was, but they talked about it for like a minute. And Joe was like, yeah, these books are awesome, blah, blah, blah. But he never mentioned SEAL. And uh, somebody sent it to me. I Probably think it just might have been another. <laughs> <laughs> he might not know. <laughs> he he might not know. Uh, but uh, I forget who sent it to me, but they said, hey, this is so cool. He didn't mention SEAL once. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, that is, that is really cool. Um, 
but uh, but I think that's something that people, you know, it's a very you know real thing. You want to build on that foundation and do it in a, a way that's appropriate and helps you move forward. And I think you're doing that. And you're sharing this experience. You're sharing this Trying. journey. You're helping people. Um, which I don't know how many people I'm helping, but <laughs> <laughs> it's cathartic for you me. You got these awesome hats and t-shirts. Like, it's not helping anybody. It's good. It, it closes them. It keeps their head warm in the winter. There's all sorts of things. You don't know shit about hats. Yeah, if you think that. it keeps their head warm in the winter. Do you have beanies? No. Maybe you should. All right. Good idea, Ferry. Right. I'll put it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but uh, so this last year was a busy one. Um, but when for you me saw, or you? Forever, for us, uh, the country, um, so many, gosh, what a crazy time to be living, bringing up kids, um, political situation, just uh, so, what a crazy time to be living. But uh, we have this period in August with the Afghanistan withdrawal. Like, what did mm -hmm. you think about when you when you saw that? Did you were you thinking about it in the lead up to, uh, or, you, or did you just start thinking about it when you saw the actual withdrawal taking place and seeing uh, everything happening at the airfield? Like how how much thought were you thinking, were you putting into it, let's say from January of last year up until August? And then when August hit, um, what were your thoughts and feelings behind how we got out of there? Wasn't putting a lot of thought into it up until it actually started happening. Um, I don't know anybody who I served with in Afghanistan that was surprised by the result. The only thing that surprised me was with the velocity with which it happened. Mm -hmm. um, you know, when you're sitting in the seat, when you are the person in charge, you own what happens, regardless if it's your administration or the previous administration to put together the plan. Um, and the reality is what had happened in Afghanistan spans multiple administrations, whether it's surges or owning more terrain, which means that you need to have more assets. I mean, if you look at the amount of shit that we left behind, if we had left the country or left only a small force there in late 2001, 2002, 2003, like it would be a completely different story, right? I worked a lot with Afghan partner forces and Iraqi partner forces. And uh, I'm, I'm, and I'm sorry, I'm not surprised that it fell. I knew that it was going to fall. Anybody that worked at a very close level with those forces, except for the ones that were much more highly trained and refined for a lot of the tier one units. It's like, yes, this is eventually what's going to end up happening. I think it was a complete clusterfuck of how they went about it. And it seems as if they committed to a plan that they probably knew was not right and they were unwilling to make a change on the fly. And I don't understand that. And that is where I will hold the person who was in the seat at the time responsible for that. If you're the head honcho and the plan's going to shit, it's on you. Don't try to blame it on the previous administration because if you inherit their plan and it sucks, change it. Or adapt. Or adapt. Hey, we're getting our asses kicked here by trying to do this. Let's maybe think about this a little bit more and do this a little bit safely. Maybe we could get some of these people, you know what I mean? Like there's so many ways it could have gone and I don't know why they committed themselves to going the way that they did and that's on them and they should be held accountable for it. But I'm not surprised that the country fell. But in the back of my mind, even from my first deployment there, I was never there to liberate Afghanistan and fight for them. They knew and know that at some point they were gonna have to do it for themselves. And if they were unwilling and unable to do so, I mean, we as a country, we can't stay there forever and do it for them. So, yeah, it's a mess. Yeah, it seems like we had we had almost 20 years to plan for that. 
to plan for an exit. Yeah. And then you've heard people talk about rushing to your death. Like, take a breath, look around, make a call. Yeah. Like this plan says. sucks. This plan is not working. Mm -hmm. Somebody needs to make a change. And it seems like at the highest levels, they were committed to that plan. And I hate to say this, but it almost seems like they were committed to that so they could blame it on the previous administration, which is idiotic in my mind. And when that plan fell to shit and people lost their lives for it, they should be held accountable, which I don't think anybody has been. Nope. Nope. No one's been held accountable for that entire time frame, strategic for strategic failures. I mean, um, somebody they, should be held accountable for us being there a decade too long. How about that? Uh, I don't know who to hold accountable for that, but there's a lot of failures along the way. Yeah. And those guys keep failing up. Yeah. You know, keep failing up. That's the um, way you do it. So until people start getting their figurative heads lopped off, uh, those below, below them that are careerists. So there's definitely a difference between someone who's in the profession of arms and the career of arms are yeah. very different. No one's ever heard of a career of arms because it's a profession or it should be. Yeah. Um, so this careerist type people who become politicians at some point along the way and they see, oh, if I want to keep going on this path, guess what I have to do? X, Y, and Z. Uh, unless those people who make the mistakes up top get their heads locked off because that's accountability and you get somebody in there who can do the job. And then those below say, oh, I better step up and do this job or maybe this isn't my sport. Yep. Maybe I need to go off and do something else. Um, and uh, it's just so many good people get out along the way because they don't want to deal with that, those politics uh, because that doesn't, they want to turn in to those guys that they see above them in the chain of command who have become politicians. Uh, because really, what does it take to stay in military? Eh. You know, you, uh, you don't pop positive on a, on a piss test. Um, no DUI. Don't beat your spouse and don't get too many DUIs. Uh, maybe now it's one back in the day. I feel like now it's one and done. Yeah, now it's one and done. Um, so those three things. Um, and you move up, especially when those around you who are probably better suited for the job are getting get out. out. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's a, uh, it's such a tough situation. There's a, so Rescue 22 Foundation is a foundation I'm involved with that helps train service and support dogs for, uh, for veterans. And uh, one of the people that was wounded uh, at the, during the withdrawal, um, she can't walk anymore. And uh, they're training up a dog specifically for her, but she's a Marine. I mean, she was, she was standing the post. She was doing yeah. the job. And, uh, and now, now, now she's paralyzed. Yeah. And, Ah, it's just such a, ah, we seem like we rushed, rushed to failure on that one. We absolutely did. Yeah, we, we absolutely did. And I, I have no explanation as to why. I mean, I know we had given them an arbitrary timeline, but like the plan's not working. The loss of life is not worth it. It's actually going to be safer for the Afghans as well if we take our time. Um, but yeah, let's just disregard all that and rush to our death. Or perhaps hold the tactically advantageous position instead of giving it up. Don't give up that high ground. I didn't understand that. Yeah. I mean, I would have, again, a pie in the sky, if, if I was, uh, Admiral for a day, I would have used Bagram, not Cobble. You know? It's, it's so odd. It's so bizarre. Yeah. It is so bizarre. We've both been to Bagram. We've both been through that city, yeah. Cobble and I mean, it's not a, it's not tough to figure out where it's better to place your troops if you're leaving. Correct. It's, I mean, like gives like a, a sand table, get a test. So you have some people at a test at, a, at, at ROTC or at the Naval Academy or at West Point or whatever, and you give them that problem set. Let's say they have almost no background in military history, yeah, tactics, and bottom. strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Yet our senior level leaders did what they did. It's, 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 it's unforgivable, especially when there's no accountability. Agreed. Yes. So painful. Ah, it gets me fired up. It gets me fired up. I can tell. Yeah. I like fired up Jack though. Uh, yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, and then what do you do with, if your kids say, hey, I want to think about joining the military, uh, or someone comes to you, not your kids, and says, hey, I'm thinking about joining the military. Um, I'm, you know, whatever, maybe they're, let's say, let's just give a background. They're uh, junior, senior, high school uh, star athletes. They're fired up. They're patriotic. Uh, maybe they have some family history in the military. Maybe not. Um, what do you say? I think the best you can do is just be honest with them. Yeah. You know? I would never try to talk anybody out of what would be their dream, but I can give them my, I was on a phone call today waiting to pick you up with a guy who's getting ready or wants to enlist mm. uh, and and go to Bud's. And I told yeah. him on the call, I'm like, listen, I can't give you, like, I can't speak for the community. I can give you my experience, which you have to understand is exactly that. Only my experience through my lens, through my optic, but I'll try to answer the questions you have to the best of my ability. You know, he's asking about, you know, what was your favorite schools? I'm like, listen, you're putting the cart in front of the horse. You need to make it through the selection program first. What's better officer enlisted? I'm like, again, you know, worry about getting through the selection program first. Obviously, you'll have to declare first, but. Enlisted. Yes. <laughs> depending on what you want. Because, you know, if people want to go in for six years and they want to go through their AOIC and OIC and they don't want to be an operations officer and they don't want to be an XO or a CO or all that stuff. You know, there's a role for that too. And I, and I don't have a problem with that. Mm. Um, but, you know, maybe be clear about that you know, up like front. You're probably not going to sniper school. And if you do, you're probably not doing the, the sniper job. Of course. If, if you're coming in as yeah. an officer. But it's, it's crazy people don't really know that. If, if Maybe they do now. But back in the day before internet, before you could really research all these things, it was a little confusing. Um, and you sort of as an officer expecting to be a sniper and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, yeah, they're like, hey, the buddy, go to the op shop. You're going to be- uh, Or you might be with the sniper, stuff. but you're not going to be on the glass. And yeah. you're very, very likely not going to be on the trigger, which is probably not what you want. But- Maybe you would find it more empowering and enriching to be able to be responsible for that maneuver element and, right. th and have a, a, a larger scale and focus than just somebody who's looking through the myopic lens of a sniper rifle. <coughs> Excuse me. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I got lucky with that one because of that list of time. And then, yeah, we both uh, did. Yeah, so lucky. Yeah, oh same cash. So lucky that they just threw me in as a like sniper team leader to do that stuff as a 01. Um, yeah, so yeah, that was that was amazing. But uh, You got to tell the truth. That's all you can do. Yeah. That's, that's helpful, um, especially psychologically moving forward. Um, much more healthy. I think sure. so. <laughs> yeah, so that stuff's depressing though. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't I, want I, to ask him the questions. Man, I know. <laughs> but like, I, it's a tough one for me to answer because I want, you know, you want good people to be in the military. You don't yeah. want to discourage anybody from their from their dream, uh, especially if that dream is to, has always been to be, to go into the military. Um, but then you have this 20 years uh to look back on, you have Afghanistan most recently, you have the leadership that we've seen. Uh, and by leadership, I mean these these people with stars on their shoulders uh, in front of Congress that are essentially saying the same things for 20 years, asking for more troops and for more money and more resources so that they can then move up a few, a few ranks and then get out and sit on these different boards of the same companies that are, uh, that are producing the tools that are used in these, in these theaters. Um, so there's some, some, it's, it's, so it's tough. Uh, it's tough, but those people that are doing that, much like the book that we're talking about, that's a, that's a fraction. They don't represent. But it goes down to that E1. Yeah, but it. puts them at that gate. Yeah, but at the same time though, they're not all like that. You know, I think some are, I think, and I think the higher that you get, the more enticing some of that stuff can be. But I think they're, they're the minority. It just may not be there, may not mean that they're the ones in the position to make those decisions. 
Yeah. No, I think they failed up for 20 years. Um, Some of them did. We, so we didn't see it. So we, the interesting part is we didn't see that in World War II. And it's interesting going back and asking the question why we didn't see that. What we saw was the opposite. We saw um, what most people know, George Marshall from the Marshall Plan after World War II. But really, um, almost more importantly, he fired people before and then during World War II who did at the senior levels who weren't cutting it. And that got the right people in the right places at the right time <laughs> yeah. to crush the enemy. Uh, so then that started to shift for whatever reason. And it's a right around the same time we had changed the name of the Department of War, War Department, um, to the Department of Defense. It's an interesting hmm. shift. And because uh, defense is obviously different than offense. Um, and uh, Department of War. They both share offense. So. It's uh, it's <laughs> They share a common father. Um <laughs> But that, so that's an interesting shift there. But then we start to see it in Vietnam um, and then much more so, obviously, over this last 20 years. So it's interesting to look at the successes of World War II, quote unquote successes, um, and then the failures of the last 20 years strategically. There's a lot of successes, though, too. There's tactical successes. Yeah. Strategically, it's hard to point. I'm going to put Iraq and Afghanistan in the loss column. That's what I mean. Yeah. Strategically. No matter how many times you went and hit a target and came back, grabbed a guy, interrogated him, went out and hit another target, those are tactical successes. Yeah. But then we see how we left. We see this all of this this year. I think that highlights the impact that leadership can have. At a tactical level, we didn't win every engagement, but we, in the totality, we crushed our enemy mm-hmm. and still lost. Mm-hmm. The so. people with the boots on the ground were doing absolutely everything that was asked of them. And at levels above them, ab- above anything that they could probably hope to achieve, it got fucked up. Yeah. And that's the power that leadership can have. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. So going back to that that advice, like I I, I don't want to discourage anybody, but at the same time- um, I want to discourage you know, some people. Fight, yeah. Good point. Like, like that guy idiots. that quit that first couple hour of hell yeah. week for us. Like uh, that was- Like <laughs> if somebody comes to me and goes, hey, I, I want to go to SEAL training. And if I look at them and I'm not uh, being negative, but if they're like- 300 pounds and five foot seven, I'm going to say, hey, I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. I'm going to save you and the government some time. Like, or these are the things you need to do first. There you go. Yeah. I will discourage people for what I consider to be the, you know, the right reasons. They're, you know, probably not physically capable of doing so. Or one thing that I will try to talk people out of, and I've had this happen not a lot. But people want to become a SEAL so they can say they're a SEAL for the fanfare. And I'm, just, I'm like, listen, you don't understand the pain involved in this job. And by that, I mean physical pain. Don't waste your time. <laughs> yeah. That's so weird in the world of social media, how that can be an influence. Um, I mean, we had it. Like I read uh, you know, Five Years to Freedom, Nick Rowe, SF guy, uh, POW, Vietnam, uh, read that book, you know, Amazing. Read Charlie Beckwith's book in, I think, in 1986 or 87. Uh, First Commanding Officer, Delta Force. His book is called Delta Force. Um, so I read all How those How dare books. he use that term? <laughs> it doesn't exist. Redacted. Except, <laughs> except the First Commanding Officer wrote a book about it. Yeah. As did- Son our, of a bitch. <laughs> as did Richard Marcinko. So those yeah. books, I mean, were so so impactful. Um, but, uh, but now it's a different deal because it's daily- uh, Yeah. It, it, it's bombardment. It's bombardment daily. And uh, so I don't know if the people being recruited today via quote unquote influencers on social media, I mean, is it the right reasons or is it, hey, or is it just another like, hey, oh, awesome. I'm more aware of this and I'm hardwired to serve my country. I just don't know. 
I don't know, but but I have faith in the curriculum. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have faith in this one five-day period. Actually, so between Sunday and Friday, so a little yeah. more than, yeah. Uh, but give or take. There. And the curriculum that occurs on both sides of that. Like, it works. Yeah. If you remember, our class got substantially smaller in between the first day of first phase and the first day of Hell Week. <laughs> that's because it was the hardest class ever. Correct. That's wow. why you couldn't graduate with it, but that's a different story. <laughs> Oh, it was brutal. Uh, but it was great. Again, to, it was the great power to see of leadership. <laughs> yes. Or yeah. the power that your class leadership, oh. which is hated by the instructor staff, can have on you. Oh, they can't get a head count. We talked about that on, on Cleared Hot. Unbelievable. Recently. Unbelievable. Yeah. Looking back, it is unbelievable. Yeah. That we, uh, yeah. 101 students accounted for. You clearly uh, only have six boat crews yeah. here, each holding six people. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> Yeah, that Fuck. was that was rough. So yeah, yeah. the curriculum does weed. Uh, yeah, does do, does still work. Eighty yeah. percent attrition, I think, is still give or take. You know, depending lower, on the month. Yeah, lower, yeah, has to, you know, winter hell weeks, obviously. They bump it a bit. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> winter hell weeks is the way to go. Not that it's easy in the summertime, but it, let's just be honest, it's harder in the winter. Yeah, I mean, everybody knows that. Yeah, yeah. I know they do now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, that stuff's depressing a little bit. But uh, not depressing is what's going on down the road here with you and Black Rifle Coffee. Mm -hmm. uh, it looks like a hole in the ground right now, but I've seen artists. That's because it is a hole in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> it's artists. I'm wondering how they're going to get that digger. I want to see how they get the the big. I'm fascinated too. It's, it looks like it's just going to keep, you know. Digging down. They told me that they were going to forget. <laughs> they said it digs its way out. And now I'm really reconsidering what the hell that means. Because I thought they were going to leave like- A so ramp? Right now, they're getting ready to pour the foundation. So they have the headers in. And there is a piece of equipment in there that's got to weigh a couple tons. Mm -hmm. And I call it a scooper. I don't know the exact name of it. <laughs> I think it's, that's the technical term. It's a scooper. Yeah. And I, I saw how they got it in there. Yeah. They backfilled up to the um, header. Okay. Poured more, and they basically made a mound that okay. they drove it up and in. Makes sense. I thought that's how they were going to get it out because <laughs> it has an articulating arm that could scrape it. Okay. That thing is clearly now in the hole. <laughs> it is. So I'm fascinated how it's yeah. going to get out of there. <laughs> yeah. I want to know. I want a picture. I want to find out. I'm yeah. sure they have done this before. It's not their first time. Unless we drop by on the way out of here and ask them how many of these they've done and they say this is the first one. I don't know. But what I I'd thought was going to happen. That. If they said that, that yeah. would make my day. What I thought was going to happen and what I think what they are now obviously going to do are yeah. not the same thing. Yeah. So I'll let you know when I figure awesome. it out. No, awesome. Yeah. That's going to be great. It's like a huge Black Rifle coffee. Yes. Uh, they call them an outpost. Oh, nice. Yes. I read this in some of their corporate documents. Ah, so I like it. Black Rifle Coffee Outpost. It will be Black Rifle, BRCC Kalispell. Perfect. Uh, November. November. It will be open. Awesome. There's awesome. a chance we will do a soft opening mm. mid to late October. Yeah. Uh, Get it but, figured out. Kind of like with yeah, the restaurant, they do that. Yeah, but we'll do, I think, an official grand opening fly oven and the crew up uh, probably in November. Nice. And physically, I mean, physically right now, visibly the construction site, it, it legitimately looks like a hole in the ground. Yeah. But very soon inside of those headers, you're going to, you know, the steel, the foundation, and then the structural steel for the, the building itself, which is largely made out of steel, arrives, I think, a week after the foundations are poured. And they said it, seven to 10 days of just putting that erector set together. Yeah. It won't be done, but- it will visibly look substantially different nice. and it'll really start coming together. Cause then it's like inside stuff, you know, framing out the bathrooms, the back of the house. It's a lot, man. It's a, it's a it's huge awesome. project. No, I'm so fired up for you. Yeah. We're a year and a half in. Yeah. Oh, man. Of architectural stuff. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it'll be exciting. Oh man. It's awesome. I've been to, I went to one opening at Hill Air Force, right outside Hill Air Force Base in, in Utah. And it was yep. awesome. They do a great job with those openings. They do. Um, they must do a little soft opening first, work some of the bugs out like you would with the restaurant. I would sure hope so. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> this isn't coffee. Yeah, no, it's bad. It's so like much we fun. We think we're good. You guys ready? Let's do it live. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. <laughs> do it live. Not a plan that you should follow. <laughs> no, that's, uh, yeah. No, they do a great, a great job with those. Can't wait to see it, uh, uh, this thing come to fruition since it is a hole in the ground right now. Yep. Um, but uh, before we take off, I want to ask you about getting back into rifle hunting because you went all in on on bow, bow hunting, hunting. Yep. Um, for a long time. And then uh, now you got some Christians in Arms stuff going on and they make a great, Great rifle. Yeah. Um, and uh, so what brought you back to the rifle? Um, well, maybe easier to talk about what got me away from it. I I didn't actually think it was fair, mm -hmm. if I'm being honest. Listening to people talk about, you know, they're like, and I don't mean this negatively in any way uh, towards rifle hunters, but I was peripheral to a few conversations where people are talking about taking these ultra long range 204 yard shots. I'm like, what the fuck did you just say? Like, were you standing like with iron sights? Because that's the only way that that's going to be fair. Um, and I had found bow hunting when we first moved up here to Montana. And it's it's hard, as you know. It is. You have a carbon fiber dart that you're trying to get within dart range for animals that are very queued up to stay alive. Mm -hmm. Challenging, kind of defined by its lack of success. And that to me was, I found it to be fascinating. And I really just, I I thought it would be too easy rifle hunting. And again, I don't say that negatively at all. Um, but I've always enjoyed shooting. Like we were talking about on uh, my podcast we recorded before. I think sniper school was probably the most useful operational school that I went to. And I mm. loved the art of long range marksmanship. And I got introduced to Christensen Arms through uh, a content company, actually. And in doing so, they sent me out some rifles to mess around with. And I hadn't really kept up with the tech that mm. much. And I picked these things up and they're like machined out and milled out and with polymers and composites. I'm like, oh my God, mm -hmm. this thing is light. This thing is awesome. This thing's put together well. Carbon fiber wrapped barrels. You know, they're spitting off heat, but they have good durability. And I'm, I'm throwing a can on these things and my optics. I'm like, why does this weigh one third of what I was issued to go overseas with? I'm like, this is actually kind of awesome. So it reignited this passion for shooting rifles again. And yeah. I, and I just happened to be introduced to Christensen, um, at that time. And they've been, they've been a fantastic partner. Um, and I had never shot anything that was carbon fiber wrapped or it, like uh -huh. as the technology has continued, um, since I got out of the military and it was just cool to get back into it. And yeah. then, you know, bow season is great. Um, and most bow hunters out there listening will understand exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes at the end of bow season, you have a little extra room in your freezer because <laughs> it wasn't as successful as you thought it was going to be. Guess what's a great alternative to really packing it in? The old 300 wind bag. There you go. So it gave me the opportunity to extend my hunting season. And it also gave me the opportunity to expose people to hunting mm -hmm. where if you've never hunted, I really don't think exposing people to bow hunting is the way to go first mm -hmm. because your margins are of error and what you're able to get away from that close mm. to an animal, it's almost zero. And I mean, I have, I understand concealment and dead space and, and largely how to move very well mm. based off our old job. And I fuck it up all the time. Imagine taking somebody who doesn't have our background, giving them a compound bow that they're probably gonna struggle to pull back. Keep your shit together as this animal happens to walk by for two seconds and make a shot. No, how mm. about, let me get you behind the, the scope of a rifle take you to range and, and explain to you marksmanship. And I can sit there and talk you through the whole process and we can mm -hmm. watch the animals in their natural environment. And it's just, it's much calmer. And I've mm -hmm. been able to do so with my uh, fiance. Nice. Um, I was with her. She hunted for one day and got Solid. a doe. 
And then she, the next season, hunted for one day and got a buck and a doe. Nice. Taken, I think her shot was three something. It was either high twos or low threes. But it gave me the ability to kind of set the rifle up for her, be able to talk there with her. What a great exposure to hunting. And you can only really do that with that platform where you have that standoff. Then you throw a little suppressor on that bad boy, which any gentleman would, of course. It (laughs) only makes sense. She shot and the animals were just... <laughs> Man, Bob's no, over there on the ground. I don't know what's going on, but this grass is delightful. He's, He's just sleepy. So it's a great exposure. Um, and I and I that was my favorite part about it, exposing nice. it to other people. And it's just it's cool. It gives you an extended hunting season, it gives you an ability to expose it to people. The the changes in technology and the advances, they're awesome. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, it's kind of reignited a passion for me. It's been really nice. good. Nice. And you can, I mean, you can still practice getting as close as you, as you of want. Of course. Uh, still work on tracking, still work on your field craft, all that yeah. sort of thing. Um, and did they send you, what else did they, they send you all 300 wind mags? Is that what you? I have uh, a 308 and I have a 300 wind mag nice. in their uh, MPR platform, the Modern Precision Rifle, which has a lot of adjustment. It's it's the kind of like the opposite of the standard Remington 700, like mm-hmm. solid stock that we're used mm-hmm. to. Uh, and then last year, people, they asked me a lot about bullets and ballistics and spoiler alert, I'm not an expert in either. It's like, this is your gun. I'm like, sweet. And these are the bullets that come with it that is the gov- government issued. Yeah, right. Uh, rifle go bang. Yeah, yeah. Rifle good. There you you go. know, like I have never nerded out on any of that stuff. People were asking me a, d- a bunch about 6.5 Creedmoor. I'm like, I don't know. So I got one for last year and killed an elk and two deer with it. I'm actually a pretty big fan of it, yeah. actually. Leah got both of her deer with it. Yep. My buddy Denver got his deer. Erica got her deer. Um, dude, it knocked my elk down. It was a cow elk in like 50 yards. Oh, yeah. You look at that cartridge in comparison to 300. It's like, this is, I don't know about this. <laughs> so I got it to mess around with that. And I got that in their Ridgeline uh, platform, which is far, it's it's not modular at all. It's it's a solid composite stock. So I kind of have a mix and match. Yeah. Um I do have some 300, like I said, 300 and 308. I have a Ridgeline and 300 win mag as well. And it's, uh, I like, I have, I'm really fortunate, right? I have a relationship with the brand so I can say, Hey, could I get this or that? And I can mess around with it. Um, but it, it's been good. It's, nice. Yeah. I don't have a crazy amount of calibers though. I'm just, I just don't have that much interest. Yeah. Also, well, 6.5, I like, yeah, no, no joke there. That's what our little guy got used on, on Lanai. Yeah. I also with. like to be able to go to, a, an average sporting goods store and find average ammunition. Yeah, yeah, fine. Like, yeah. do you have the point seven six five Nosler left hand <laughs> twisted trophy grade? Like, we've never yeah. heard of that. I'm like, right. do you have five five six? They're like, yeah. Do you have three oh eight? Cool. Give me that. Like, yeah. Phase plasma rifle, forty watt range. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you can't find ammo for it anywhere. Just what you see, pal. Yeah. So, uh, get nerdy man. if people want to. Just be aware there's some negative consequences the farther you get to the fringe, meaning yeah. availability and price. This is true. This is true. Oh man. And uh, man, let's go get some dinner. Okay. Yeah. And but before we do that, what's uh, what's ahead? I mean, you got the BRCC coming in November. That's the big um, one. Yeah. I have. Uh, so I've been out of jumping for a while. Just that's good. No, no. I mean, you're probably thinking about. I'm thinking about base jumping. Yeah, I've been out of that for a while. I don't know if I'll ever pursue that again. But skydiving, I've been skydiving for 20 years. So the last year and a half, obviously, what's going on in the world has kind of limited a lot of things. But I have the opportunity to. uh, I got a short jump trip coming up here with a couple mutual friends of ours, just to get recurrent and get my quals back. And then I'm doing a content project in Iceland in July for 10 days of skydiving. So cool. 
And uh, I think I'm going to try to find somewhere local. There's a small drop zone up in Whitefish, which I've heard will let you do uh, some jumps, which I can just use for currency if you're uh -huh. a, a B-licensed skydiver or above. Um, so probably we'll do, be doing a little bit more jumping, but the big time consume, consumer or consumption is the coffee shop. It's, yeah. it's huge from the architectural phase. Like I said, we're a year and a half into it and still six months probably from opening. Yeah. There was a year of just conceptual looking at designs and architects and I never wanted to be a developer, uh, but my business partner used that term the other day, kind of describing the role we've taken on. And it's it's kind of become that mm -hmm. and all the stuff that we are doing. So focusing on that, and I don't I don't want to be an absentee owner of that by mm -hmm. any stretch. Um, we've hired our manager. She's a fantastic woman who has work experience here in the Valley. And I want to be involved in setting the culture and creating nice. that team and being able to step in when necessary. I want to understand the business yeah, and then be able to focus on the, the podcast um, and just continue to try to reach out to new guests mm -hmm. and sit down with people. And I, and it's selfish because it's enriching to me to yeah. be able to sit down with people that I think is fa are fascinating and talk with them about how they were able to do whatever it is they did. Yeah. All right. So you could do a book about what you've learned from guests on the podcast. Uh, no, no, I couldn't because I don't want to. Is that a seal book? Probably. <laughs> there I was across yeah. the table. Yeah, people have had the ideas of uh, like doing written transcripts of some of the episodes and turning that into a book. But the question becomes why? If people want to find that, it already exists for free. So I drive back to why would I do that? Well, you could take like, let's say 10 guests that impacted you that you look back on over the last few years. And you're like, man, that person, that person, that person, that person. I changed my life because of that conversation or something like that. And you take those and don't do the transcript of it, but you just talk about how that impacted you, how that conversation impacted you and what changes you made because of it. And now someone who's never listened to your podcast, uh, there's another way for them, one, to find out about it, but two, to have those most impactful conversations without scrolling through. How many are you on now? 230? 230 different podcasts in order to find someone that maybe or maybe isn't one of the ones that uh, impacted you and caused you to change. So there's there's some stuff there. I'll take it under advisement yeah, yeah. and there's likely stuff, never you know. action it. But. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. I don't know why people want me to write a book. Like I don't. It's because you don't want to write a book. And so I don't did, want to I do a like, lot of things. So. I also don't you. want to run a, through traffic blindfolded. <laughs> Should I do yeah. that too, Jack? No, it's not a good idea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't advise that. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome, man. Yeah. Bro, well, thank you so much for uh, inviting me up. It's always great to see you. And uh, we'll do it yeah. again in a year. We'll do it again in Assuming a year. Assuming you can keep cranking these books out. I'll keep cranking these things out. And then uh, hopefully it'll come down. out of the blood. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell. Don't tell. <laughs> uh, but next time you pass through, so our new place, um, setting up a, a 3D archery range on oh, enough land to do that. So um, that'll be like a little, little course that I can do in the morning. Um, and uh, yeah. We'll do one. We'll do one there. Cool. Right on, awesome, man. brother. Yep. Thank you so much. Take care. Navy Federal Credit Union. I've actually been a member since 1996, the year that I joined the Navy. And Navy Federal Credit Union wants to thank the men and women in the U.S. military for their important commitment to our country. For more than 85 years, Navy Federal Credit Union has made it their mission to help people in the military community. Navy Federal Credit Union is open to all branches of the military, veterans and their families. Navy Federal's employees are veterans and military spouses, so they're part of the community they serve, and they understand their members better than anyone. 
Members can enjoy an average earning and savings of $352 per year, a savings rate three times the industry average. An average credit card, APR 5% lower than the industry average, award-winning 24-7 stateside member service, over 350 branches worldwide. Show your own support for our troops with hashtag Mission Military Thanks. Learn more about how Navy Federal is celebrating the commitment that connects them to their members at NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. And I also have to read that this is insured by NCUA. Dollar value represents the results of the 2020 Navy Federal Member Giveback Study. Value claim based on Navy Federal's 2020 Member Giveback Study. Credit card value claim based on 2020 Navy Federal as low as APR averages compared to advertised industry APR averages as of December 31st, 2020, published on creditcards.com. Thanks so much. Check out NavyFederal.org. I want to thank my friends at Black Rifle Coffee for sponsoring the Danger Close podcast. I've been a huge fan for the longest time. Drink Black Rifle Coffee every day. Day. And if you keep your eyes peeled, you will notice that perhaps Chris Pratt is wearing a Black Rifle Coffee t-shirt, not unsimilar to this one in the Amazon series adaptation of the Terminal List. Now you can go to blackriflecoffee.com slash dangerclose and use code dangerclose20 at checkout for 20% off your purchase and your first coffee club order. Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee, keep crushing. All right, let's talk about 10,000.cc. So 10,000, awesome company. If you have tried their interval shorts or their tactical shorts, which these are right here, you know that you are not going back to anything else. These things are awesome. And uh, I got a pair of pants from them recently too. And man, amazing, amazing. Um, I've worn a lot of shorts over the years, obviously being a West Coast SEAL at Team 5 when I started out. So that was kind of the thing. Um, but I have worn a lot of shorts and these ones, hands down the best. I mean, that's just how it goes. Uh, they were tested by over 50 special operations members in their testing phase. So it makes sense that they're awesome, but, uh, definitely try these out. Go to 10,000.cc, uh, follow them on Instagram. Same thing. 10,000.cc on Instagram. Uh, but go to the website, check it out. Super easy to order. Uh, there's not crazy amount of different options. So, uh, and then there's packages on there as well. I mean, they just do a fantastic job in all that they do. Free shipping, free returns. Uh, go to 10,000.cc slash dangerclose15 to receive 15% off your purchase. That's 10,000.cc slash dangerclose15. So definitely do that. Get your 15% off. Uh, I definitely recommend both the interval short and the tactical short. They are both awesome. And uh, I'll be wearing these pants a lot more here. I actually am going to go running in these because um, I'm getting back after it. It is that time. Uh, it's been a while since I've gotten out there and gotten after it and doing anything other than skiing or hiking or playing with the kids or hunting or whatever. Um, but uh time to get back on it. So, uh, running in the mornings, doing some burpees. Um, just that's about it for now because, uh, I still have to write books, still have to do screenplays, do all that sort of thing. So, uh, but getting out there to clear my head in the mornings in the tactical short, 
Yes. So once again, 10,000.cc slash DangerClose15 for 15% off your order. You will not regret it. Welcome to the gear highlight portion of the Danger Close podcast. Before I get to some of these knives from Montana Knife Company, I want to talk about Coffee or Die magazine. If you're not following them on social channels or subscribing to the magazine, you definitely should. It is uh, it is awesome. They're doing some great work out there. Uh, really, from also from war zones across the world, you're getting a perspective that you really don't find anywhere else in here. But uh, Coffee or Die magazine, latest issue, and look what they did. Bam, in the blood. Awesome. Coming May 17th, audio ebook and hardcover. But uh, Matt Kaltrider, thank you so much for this. In the Blood, how Jack Carr used his time as a SEAL sniper to create his most action-packed book yet. That is true. And that was not my intent at the beginning. I just started writing and it just happened to become the most action-packed book yet. But thank you guys for doing this. Sincerely appreciated. Awesome. And once again, Coffee or Die magazine. You can go to coffeeordie.com as well. Check out what they have going on. And let's talk some blades here. So Montana Knife Company, very cool. Josh Smith, uh, amazing, made in the USA. Uh, Where are they made, you may ask? Montana, Montana Knife Company. They make it easy for you. Designed and hand-finished by Master Bladesmith, Josh Smith. So come in these awesome packaging right there. And then a bunch of different sizes out there. This is the Speed Goat right there. So check that out. Can you see that right there? Yeah, this thing is awesome. They do knife drops like every week or something like that, and they sell out quickly. So sign up for their newsletter, MontanaKnifeCompany.com. Newsletter lets you know when the drops are coming. So you have a heads up and can go and get after it. But they have a bunch of different blades out there. This one's a little bigger. This thing's solid. Look at that. I love that orange in the handle. Really liking that. And what else? Another one right here. So yeah, look at that. Multiple sizes to choose from. Yep, and if you can't decide... What I suggest is get both, or in this case, get all. Yeah, but in this thing here, this is the bear tooth. Look at that. That thing is crazy. I don't even think it looks as big as it is in real life on the screen there. But uh, yeah, Montana Knife Company, Josh Smith, awesome. And then I have this one. I've been using this my last couple hunts. So it's on my Sitka Bino harness right here. So in here, obviously, I have binos. Yep, right there. And then this is attached right there. And look at that guy. Yep. Love this thing. So very cool. And yep, MontanaKnifeCompany.com. Be sure. Check them out. Thank you for tuning in to the Danger Close podcast, an Ironclad original presented by Navy Federal Credit Union. To find out more about Andy Stumpf and his podcast, go to ClearedHotPodcast.com. He's got some merch on there as well. Well, if you enjoyed this conversation, be sure to leave a five-star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on the social channels at Jack Carr USA. You can go to the website, officialjackcar.com, and you can go to jackcarusa.com for the merch. Thank you so much again for tuning in. Take care out there. Stay safe. Be strong. Keep fighting. In case you missed it, on a recent episode of Danger Close, an Ironclad original. 
Jack Carr sat down with former presidential candidate Tulsi Gabbard. Set aside all the labels, mm-hmm. you know, oh, well, because I've been getting asked this a lot, like, well, are you left or are you right? Are you progressive or are you conservative? What box you... do you fit in? Which exactly, box do you check? Completely. Are you an enemy and, or right, right. An How, Like, what filter should I use when I'm looking at you? And, like, I've always been an independent-minded person. Mm-hmm. Always. Be sure to check out the full interview wherever you get your podcasts.